Well, good morning once again uh, to everyone who is joining us today. I'm always grateful, always just incredibly grateful for the worship time that we are able to share in together. And I know uh, you were too. Uh, as Kim reminded me this morning and, and a couple of others, um, I'm really preaching to the choir this morning, at least at least here in uh, the worship center. I loved that. That, was a, that started my day off right uh, this morning to hear that. Uh, but uh, to welcome all of you who are joining us from wherever you're joining us from this morning, thank you for being a part of this service. I, I just got to say this morning, I, I'm going to try to be as honest with you as I can this morning. This has been a tough week. It's been a hard week. I did not anticipate uh, where we find ourselves today in uh, meeting virtually together this morning, but we're doing so once again because of concerns over COVID-19. If you're a member of, the, if you are a member of this church, you received a letter from me this week explaining why. I don't know about you, but is it okay if I just say I am sick of COVID? I am sick of it. I'm sick of the way it is controlling so much of our lives. I'm sick of the way that it's impacting our families and our communities and our churches. And because of this, I, I, I had originally planned to do the fourth in a series of messages on spiritual warfare this morning from, from Nehemiah chapter 4. But because of what we are, are dealing with again this morning, I, I felt like that wasn't right. So I, so I put together another message from Joshua chapter 1, the first few verses, dealing with the importance of just persevering through the challenges and the difficult circumstances of, of life. And then yesterday afternoon, I received the news of the deaths of two of our senior adult couples in an incredibly tragic automobile accident. And then suddenly, the message from Joshua 1 just didn't seem right. Um, I was heartbroken, as many of you were, to hear that news. And so I really just started thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and I've got to tell you this morning, this is the third message I have prepared for this morning. I hope it's the right one. I hope it's the right one. And aside from these things, I started thinking, you know, I am closing in quickly in the next week or so on my second full year as your interim pastor, <laughs> uh, a lengthy tenure that I had not anticipated and that I'm sure that many of you had not anticipated. It's been a long road, and I know it's been hard on your search committee. It's been difficult for the church. It hasn't been easy for me. And then I also reflected, you know, this past week was the 19th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on our nation, and none of us can, who were here can think back on that, I don't think, without it impacting us. 
And we're also living with all kinds of unrest in our nation, political division. We've got a national election coming up, shaping up to be just a nasty one. The western part of our nation is burning up from wildfires. Another hurricane has its sights set on our Gulf Coast. And then the news commentators reminded me all weekend long that we're getting ready to enter into flu season. So it's just been an unbelievably hard week. But it does remind me of a funny story, and I'm going to tell it to you this morning because I don't know about you, I need some humor somewhere. I really do. There were hundreds of passengers on a cruise ship that were making their way through the Caribbean when suddenly and without warning a storm blew up. It caught the ship and caught the passengers completely off guard. And one woman who was out on deck lost her balance and fell overboard. All the passengers stood there kind of frozen in horror, waiting for somebody to do something. Nobody knew what to do. Shouts began to go up saying, someone please help this woman as they watched her floundering there uh, in the waves suddenly when it looked like she was about to go down for the last time someone jumped off one of the high upper decks and plunged arms and legs flailing and landed grotesquely and painfully in the water close to the woman managed to swim over to her grab hold of her and hang on to her until a launch from the cruise ship could come down and rescue them. When these two were brought back onto the ship, the passengers were shocked and really embarrassed to realize that the hero was the oldest man on board, a gentleman in his late 80s. The ship's captain, upon hearing of the man's heroism, decided that he, the crew, and the passengers would throw a party that night in honor of this gentleman. And so they did, and after toasting this man and praising his heroism, the captain called on the man to make a speech. He rose very slowly to his feet, obviously still shaken from his experience. He stood there for a long time just looking over the crowd. And then he said this, I just want to know one thing. Who pushed me? <laughs> now, I got to tell you, when I look at these past, this past week, these past several weeks, these past six months, I feel just a little bit pushed around, shoved around. I feel like I've been pummeled. I feel like I've been in some kind of grotesque free fall. And I got to tell you, I don't, I don't really feel like a hero in the way I have faced and dealt with some of this stuff. I have been angry. I've been on a short fuse. I have had to fight some depression. I'm just tired of it. And maybe you are too. But thank the Lord in the wee hours of this morning, 
I found a friend in the person of the Old Testament prophet Micah. I have a grandson by the name of Micah, by the way. It makes this a little more special to me. Micah was one of the great prophets of the 8th century B.C. He prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah. He served during the reigns of King uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The situation in Micah's day was much like our own. It was not good. It was a time of religious indifference. It was a time of government corruption. It was a time of moral decadence. And the message Micah preached was not a popular one because he preached the absolute destruction of the nation of Judah. As I looked at this book, I realized there's very little organization to Micah's prophecy. And at times, really, its meaning is, is a little bit difficult to grasp. But the mood, if you read this prophecy, is very, very evident. It was a dark day in the lives of God's people. The judgment of God was literally about to fall upon the nation. But even though Micah delivered a discouraging message, what I discovered is he also gives us an incredible example of an expectant faith. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to Micah, the seventh chapter. I want to read verses 7 through 10 as this great prophet shows us what faith does when we feel like the lights are just about to go out. And if I could entitle this message, that might be what I would entitle it. Faith for when the lights go out. Listen to what Micah has to say here. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. It's hard for me to read these verses. They're just kind of emotional for me. But listen to what Micah says. But I will watch for the Lord. I will wait confidently for God who will save me. My God will hear me. Our enemies have no reason to gloat over us. We have fallen, but we will rise again. We are in darkness now, but the Lord will give us light. We have sinned against the Lord, so now we must endure his anger for a while, but in the end he will defend us and right the wrongs that have been done to us. He will bring us out into the light. We will live to see him save us. Then our enemies will see this and be disgraced. The same enemies who taunted us by asking, Where is the Lord your God? We will see them defeated, trampled down like mud in the streets. I'm going to tell you, those verses were tremendous encouragement to me last night, and I want to share three things with you this morning. Three things that our faith should do for us, in us, with us, when we get to those places when we feel like the lights are about to go out. Here's the first one, and, and maybe it's something we grapple with a little bit, but it is a reality that our faith needs to embrace when the lights go out, 
faith accepts. Faith accepts. It accepts that hardship and suffering are an inevitable part of life. Hardship and suffering are an inevitable part of life. And as people of faith, we accept that fact. As I'm reading what Micah had to say here, my eyes were fixed on verse 9 where he says, We have sinned against the Lord, so now we must endure his anger for a while. Do you realize what sin has done to our world? Think about it. Every illness, every disease, every tragedy of human making, Every force, destructive force of nature, every war, every act of terror, every oppression, every evil, every pain, every destructive influence in our world comes as a result of sin in our world. And we're all responsible for that. Micah said, thinking about the judgment of God upon his nation, Micah said, we have sinned against the Lord. We must endure his anger. Now, Micah had had certainly not been the cause of the oppression by the rulers of that day, the exploitation by the wealthy of that day, the harassment by the enemy of that day. Yet, when God's judgment fell upon the nation... Micah was going to have to endure that suffering along with everybody else. Why? Because of a basic truth that we need to understand and accept this morning. Suffering is simply a part of life on this earth. From the moment sin entered the world, way back in the Garden of Eden, suffering and pain and heartache and struggle have been part of this life. The first parents, Adam and Eve, lost a son, Abel, murdered by his own brother, Cain. And I gotta tell you, it's just gone downhill from there. Micah acknowledged that. He acknowledged that he had sinned against God. And although the judgment that was going to fall on the nation of Judah would not come as a direct result of anything that Micah had personally done in an indirect indirect way, Micah's sin and your sin and my sins and the sins of every person who has ever lived has contributed to the fact that suffering and pain and difficulty and struggle is just a part of life on this sinful earth and we cannot escape it. Even Christ did not escape it. Someone has well said, God had only one son who never sinned. He didn't have any that never suffered. To me, that is a stark reminder of the reality of suffering in every life 
But our faith, our faith is revealed by the way we react to and the way we respond to that suffering. I like what one lady said. She said, my cheeks have been slapped so many times that they're quite rosy. Another man said, it's true that suffering colors life, but I get to choose the colors. And the great missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones, said, I have determined that I will not bear opposition and difficulties. Instead, I will use them. That's real faith. It recognizes and accepts the fact that each of us at some point will walk in the company of the brokenhearted. We will join the fraternity of the suffering. And many of us find ourselves in that walk and in that time right now. I have certainly felt myself there right now. Now listen to me carefully. That does not indicate any deficiency whatsoever in God. None. It simply recognizes that this is a fact in a sin-filled earth, and we accept that, and we ask God to help control our response and our reaction to that. So when the lights look like they're about to go out, the first thing that faith does, it accepts just simply accepts that suffering is part, an inevitable part of this life. Secondly, when the lights look like they're about to go out, faith adheres. It adheres. It sticks. It holds on to God. Verse 7, Micah says, I will watch for the Lord. I will wait confidently for God who will save me. Verse 9, he says, in the end, he will defend us and right the wrongs that have been done to us. Real faith, church, is patient. It endures. It sticks to God. It waits on God. It adheres to God even when the waiting is long and painful. It holds on to see what God is going to do and it believes that in the end, God is going to do exactly the right thing in your life and mine and in our world. I love Acts chapter 27. Part of that chapter recounts to us the the encounter of Paul and his adventure at sea. It's a story of storms and of shipwreck. The ship that Paul was sailing on found itself blown about by the wind, battered by the waves that were breaking across the deck. It was at night, pitch dark. The sailors could not see. God's Word says in verse 29 of that 27th chapter of the book of Acts, Speaking of Paul and those on board the, that ship, fearing that they might run aground on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern 
and they prayed for daylight. You ever felt like that? That's the kind of faith that adheres. Sometimes all you can do is throw out some anchors, try to keep from crashing on the rocks, and just pray for daylight to come. The psalm is called a spirit of that adherence. In chapter 30, verse 5 of the Psalms, where he wrote and said, speaking of God, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. True faith, church, is a faith that weathers the storms of life with patient endurance, waiting on God to come through, never letting go of Him, never giving up on Him. Faith adheres, it sticks, it holds on to God no matter what. A, a, a fellow pastor told me many years ago, about a dear lady who, in his church, who one day learned that her son had been in a terrible, terrible accident and had been uh, transported to the hospital, rushed to the hospital. And when she and her husband got to the hospital, her husband, overcome with anxiety, collapsed there in the emergency room floor with a heart attack. When her pastor got to the hospital, he found this lady her only son in one intensive care unit, her husband in another intensive care unit. And my friend told me, he said, Al, I got to tell you, I just didn't know what to say to her. I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't have known what to say to her either. But here's what the lady said to the pastor. She said, Pastor, I have determined that I am not going to reach any conclusions about all of this until God gets through with it. That's the kind of faith that holds on. Romans 8.28 assures us that God is working all things out together for the good of those who love Him, those who have been called according to His purpose. That is a promise, and faith believes that. It believes that God isn't through in this world. It believes that God isn't through in my life. I love Philippians 1.6. Paul said, I'm sure of this. I may not be sure of everything, but I am sure of this, that the God who began this good this what work this good work in you will carry it on to completion until it is finished when on the day of Christ Jesus until that day comes god is not finished and faith adheres it sticks it holds on to god in the midst of the suffering until god gets through with it Then there's a third thing I want to share with you this morning as I close. When it looks like the lights are going out, faith not only accepts, it not only adheres, but it also anticipates. 
faith anticipates. It looks forward to the ultimate victory. In the midst of all the discouragement in Micah's prophecy, there's this bright light of optimism. There's this trumpet blast of triumph. Verse 8, listen to this. Our enemies have no reason to gloat over us. Yes, we've fallen, but we will rise again. We're in darkness now, but the Lord will give us light. Verse 9, we will live to see him save us. You get that? We will live to see him save us. Verse 10, then our enemies will see this and be disgraced. The same enemies who taunted us by asking, where is the Lord your God? We will see them defeated trampled down like mud in the streets. Church, this is not some kind of shallow optimism that refuses to recognize the reality of suffering. Neither is it some kind of pie-in-the-pie escapism that ignores the darkness of the hour. No, this is hope that is born out of anguish. It is optimism that has been shaped in the crucible of difficult circumstances. It is a light that shines, even though it shines dimly in the midst of the deepest darkness. And you know what it proclaims? It proclaims that COVID does not have the last word. It proclaims that illness and death do not have the last word. It proclaims that heartbreak and pain and struggle and difficulties of all kinds do not have the final word. No, God has the final word, and it is a word of victory. We will live to see him save us. I shared with you last week that I'm a bit of a student of World War II history. Back in the blackest days of the war in Europe, when most of the continent had been overrun by the German armies, the, great, the, the people of Great Britain found themselves just about alone in their defiance of Hitler's tyranny. So many in the British government had begun to sense and feel and believe that the only remaining way that Britain could survive was to try to negotiate terms of peace with the enemy. The British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, stood almost alone in solitude in his belief that surrender could never be an option. He was called a fool. The King of England didn't trust him. Most of Parliament opposed him. The military fought against him. Those in his own party formulated plans to try to remove him from office. And yet Churchill remained resolute. And in those dark days, on June the 4th, 1940, before the United States ever entered the war, Churchill gave a speech in Parliament that today is recognized as one of the finest pieces of oratory in history, for it completely changed the opinion of the British Parliament, and it rallied the people of Britain, and it launched them into an offensive 
that would eventually win the war. I want to share some of that with you verbatim because these words are powerful. And even though they were spoken of another battle, they're incredibly true of the struggle we find ourselves in. Churchill said, We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, by land, by air, with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous enemy never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human history. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer that in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. And even though large tracts of Europe and many of the old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all of the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag nor fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Church, our journey may be long. The road may be hard. The enemy may be strong. It may seem sometimes if the lights, as if the lights are going out. But as the people of God, we shall never surrender. God has given us the victory. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word always has a word for your people. There is never a day so dark. There is never an obstacle so great. There is never a circumstance so overwhelming that you are not sufficient and more than sufficient. 
You have promised us that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And that includes victory over COVID. It includes victory over illness and disease and tragedy of all kinds. It includes victory in our own personal struggles of life. And it includes the victory as your people in this world. May we never surrender. May we never back up. May we never opt out. But with the great and precious promises of your word, not just in our hands, but in our hearts and in our minds, may we go forth to be the victorious people you have called us to be. Give us a faith that accepts that hardship and suffering, yes, are a part of life on this sinful planet, but we can control our response and our reaction to that. Give us, O oh God, a faith that adheres, that holds on, that perseveres, knowing that you are not finished with your great purposes in our lives or in our world. And, oh God, give us a faith that anticipates the ultimate victory that you promise to all those who place their faith and trust in a living, ruling, reigning Lord Jesus Christ who is worthy and more than worthy of our lives, our trust, our obedience, and our worship. Guide us now, O thou great Jehovah, as we navigate through the coming days and weeks. And may we be more committed than we have ever been before to be that people on mission with you is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today and sharing this time. May God lead you and bless you and use you this week as his people in your own home, in your community, your nation, and among the nations. So wherever you are seated today, church, you are sent. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.